Welcome to another episode of Live from the Blue Seats. I'm your host, Rob, joined this week just by Dave, as Becky is uh, taking the week off. It's been a busy week for the Rangers. It's been a busy week for us at home. A lot going on in the world. Uh, Dave, how's everything going uh, for you this week so far? It's been a hell of a weekend. It's not even Thursday, so I am a little bit shot, but this is good therapy. This is good pod therapy. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I did, before we, we start as well, wanted to thank everybody who tuned into the Twitter spaces last week, which was a, a huge success, frankly. I mean, I think, uh, you know, between you and me and Becky, Dave, we did not really know what to expect. It was our first time doing it. And I think, A, I had a blast. I had a really good time. And B, we got amazing, um, you know, uh, listenership and engagement. I think we had over 100 people at one point listening. I think over 2,500 people have tuned in in some uh, way, shape, or form to the recording. So wanted to thank everyone. And yeah, Dave, how did you feel about our first uh, live Twitter Spaces experience? That was fun. And I see why there are some shows out there. They're not considered podcasts per se. They just do live call-ins. I guess they do it via Twitch and things like that. Mm-hmm. I definitely see why people do it because I uh, no offense to y- you know you or Becky, but that was the most fun I've had doing one of these. I love it. I loved having just like basically shooting the proverbial shit with everybody about the trade deadline. It was great. Yeah, and I, oh, me too. And and I think you know to our credit, Dave, I think we did a pretty good job with our first live show without really any practice or rehearsal. Um, everybody really did a did an awesome job and. We're going to do more of the them. technology behind it because we had no idea what to expect. That we were going off of what Google told us, basically. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and yeah, we're we're definitely going to do more of uh, shows like that on Spaces. I think as the playoffs approach, and maybe after certain playoff games. I mean, obviously, it's probably going to be pretty late at night, and you know, there's a lot going on. But you know, maybe in the adrenaline aftermath, we can hop on a Twitter space for a half hour and do an impromptu reaction show we'll kind of see how it unfolds and and we'll try and give everybody um as much of a heads up as possible because i think that was great too led to some great engagement you know we let everybody know it was happening trade deadline was a huge day everybody wanted to talk about what the rangers did um and it was a a huge success so um before we get into i want to discuss a few things you know obviously we got some great fan questions as usual rangers also had a huge and very impressive win in pittsburgh on tuesday night but we are recording now as as the Wednesday night game versus the Detroit Red Wings is currently unfolding. There's 12 and a half minutes left in the second period. The Rangers trail three to two. And, you know, look, the story of this game outside of the team being on a back to back and pretty predictably not, you know, bringing their A game, which you can excuse a little bit, is Alexander Georgiev. And Dave, this is something that I think we've preached patience on, especially given the dearth of other options out there. Um and Shesterkin's play and sort of this overriding feeling of, hey, look, if Shesterkin goes down, the Rangers are kind of cooked anyway. But I don't know about you, Dave. I've reached a point personally where I don't know how much more Alex Georgiev I can take. I don't know how much more Alex Georgiev as a backup I can take. The Rangers would not be screwed if Shesterkin goes down. They just go from getting elite goaltending, league best Vezina winning goaltending to league average goaltending when Georgiev's a starter he's more or less league average he's not a backup 
And the soft goals are the sign of a guy who is not mentally ready to play because he's not in that zone. It takes a different mentality to be a backup. It's why the Rangers have, generally speaking, had decent backups is they found guys who are backups. Georgiev isn't a backup. And it sh- the first goal, I, that was worse than some of the stuff I gave up playing college roller hockey. I was not a I wasn't terrible for the league I was playing in. But I was playing in a college roller hockey league, so we weren't that good to begin with. And I even I would have stopped that one. It's just, oh, yeah. yeah, at oh, at, yeah. at the at the time he gave up his third goal of the night against Detroit. That was Detroit's uh, ninth shot on goal of the game. He had given up, if you remember, even though the Rangers won the game versus Buffalo, he had given up four goals and 17 shots against Buffalo. So that was seven goals allowed in his last 26 shots. Now, that's on the back of a brilliant 44-save shutout over Carolina, which the Rangers gave him no help in. Um, But, you know, I I mean, one thing I'll say, Dave, is I kind of disagree with you in the sense that um, the Rangers improved the team at the deadline. Obviously, they brought in Cop, Mott, Vetrano. Justin Braun hasn't played much, but these are moves that have clearly deepened the team and work, worked out. We'll obviously talk about Cop and his potential future with the team a little bit later in the show. But um, whereas earlier in the season, I would have said to you, um, I don't care if, if Shesterkin gets hurt, the season's over anyway. I don't necessarily feel that way anymore because the Rangers have gotten so much better from 1-12 to 12 in the forward group and 1-6 and to six in defense even. So... You know, and and as we've talked about, they're playing much closer to, you know, fifty uh, percent, you know, expected goals. They've actually been over fifty percent, you know, in terms of shot attempts uh, most of the last ten games or so. So they're starting to have the puck more. They're starting to be um, a team that drives play, and they're not as goaltending dependent as they were. So to me, you know, if Igor gets hurt, you still have a pretty good squad here. I don't want to necessarily leave them out to dry. I think you'd be doing this current team a disservice. If you just said to them, you know what, we're not going to take care of the backup goalie position because um, we, we're just all Igor anyway. So, uh, but the problem is, what are your other options? And I guess your only other option is Keith Kincaid. Right now, yeah, they can't bring anybody else up. Um, I don't think Kincaid is the answer, but Georgiev isn't the answer either. So you can't keep trotting out things that don't work. Yeah. And it is going to come down to Shesterkin's health. I mean, we all know that. And look, Henrik Lundqvist did all those playoffs runs essentially on his own. Obviously, he got pulled in situations where the Rangers might have been, you know, getting blown out or, you know, something like that. Those things do happen in a long playoff run, even though we tend to kind of forget it. You know, we always think of every single game being like a 2-1 nail-biter. And there's actually plenty of games when you go on a long run that you just don't have it. You kind of get blown out. And your backup comes in and, and gives your starter a rest. But, you know, they are certainly not going to go with a by-committee approach. I mean, I, I'm not – I'd have to look this up. But I think even, like, the 94 team, I think Glenn Healy started a couple of playoff games, not Mike Richter. Um, and I know Healy started playoff games in some of the cup runs or, or playoff runs after that. So, um, you know, look, and a lot of teams recently have started two goalies in the playoffs, you know, outside of the Vasilevskis and Tuka Rasks and those types. So, um I do worry. And this was not a concern for me. I was definitely in on team just play Georgiev until he figures it out. But I don't think that you can do that anymore. I mean, this has completely reached a breaking point as far as I'm concerned. 
I mean, if this were February, I mean, granted, it probably reached this point before the trade deadline, but, you know, that's come and gone. I'd agree. I just, there's nothing else you can do. So, if something happens to Georgiev, oh God, if something happens to Shesterkin, Georgiev is your best bet because he is a starter. I believe he is a starter. That's to me. That's what I think. Um, those teams that you're saying, though, that have started more than one goalie and they've gone on to playoff success, they didn't have a Shesterkin in net. Right. You know, th- there are very few teams that have a Vasilevsky, you know, a Tuka Rask. Even Florida, they have Bobrovsky, but they've got 35 other goalies they can go to. Mm-hmm. They got Spencer Knight. They, I think there's one other goalie there that just made everything really confusing for them. Um, what other teams have? Hella, Hella Buck? Hella Buke? Hella, I don't know. Hella Buck, yeah. Yeah, and well, Winnipeg, Winnipeg yeah. is another one that is just a legitimate starter, and he doesn't have a platoon, um, but he, they're not in the playoffs, obviously. So those teams that are rolling multiple goalies don't have these elite-level goalies, that, and they have to play the hot hand. Right. No, that's a good point. And it is a luxury to not have to worry about it in a sense, but, you know, look, there are, you always... You have to have injury depth. I mean, this is something we've been talking about all year with the forwards. They finally do have injury depth now and doesn't seem like they have it in goal. But in any event, I think it's probably still true that they just don't. Um, they probably aren't going to go anywhere without Chesterkin. That, you know, there, it's possible that they have a limited ceiling even with Chesterkin, even with all the deadline additions they made. However, that's a good segue into, uh, you know, kind of the main topic of the show, which is sort of the Rangers' new status as I would call them legitimized contenders since the trade deadline. So what was a team whose identity, and maybe it was overstated a little bit, but their identity was basically sporadic but quick strike offense, especially on the power play, propped up by elite goaltending of the likes we've not seen other than maybe Henrik Lundqvist's Vezina season and a handful of other goalie seasons in the last three generations. Um, The Rangers with their trade deadline additions are a much more solid team now. And I think that's playing out on the ice. Essentially since the trade deadline, they have only played uh, two bad periods. I want to say they've carried play and actually dominated the Pittsburgh Penguins who are probably their first round opponent in long stretches. Um, And so I think the question becomes, you know, first of all, let's talk about the Pittsburgh game in particular that whole game to me felt like a playoff dress rehearsal. Everything about it, the first goal by Pittsburgh being scored by Brian Boyle, the way the Rangers fought back, the lack of penalties called, Pittsburgh even getting a power play late to sort of, you know, there's always that well-timed power play late for the team that's trailing in the NHL. It's pretty predictable. Um, It's just the whole thing felt like a playoff game, Uh, even with the muted sort of, you know, there wasn't as much after the whistle stuff because I think both teams were just so focused on the task at hand, which often happens, especially late in a playoff series. Um, I could not have been more impressed by the Rangers effort from one through 18 and obviously Igor as well. But to me, that was again, and we've said this a few times on the podcast because there have been a lot of highs this season, but that was one of their best games of the year for sure. I think, what do you think? Easily one of their best games of the year. And you know, we keep say before the trade deadline, we kept saying the Rangers just need to be good enough. 
And we were talking about going all in. We were talking about what they needed to do. And they went and they did exactly what they needed to do. There were arguments about whether or not they should have added a, an elite level forward, but they weren't available. So they did everything else they needed to do. This is a team that since the trade deadline has put up around a 50% expected goal share, which again is roughly, what, middle of, middle of the pack, give or take? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. all they need to be. With Shesterkin and Net and the talent they have, they only need to be middle of the road. With They, they just don't need to be getting hammered every night. And then they go and do what they did to Pittsburgh twice, actually, after the trade deadline. And this is the team they're going to face in the first round. Barring yeah. a Pittsburgh collapse, a Washington run, or the Canes shit in the bed. And none of those three things are going to happen. The Canes are too good, and Washington's not that good to catch Pittsburgh. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, so and I mean... That- Oh, go ahead. Yeah, go for it. No, I was just going to say, this is, just who, this is who they're going to play in the first round. They just crushed them twice. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, I think I was talking to a friend of ours, um, you know, outside of the group chat, actually, but I'm in several, you know, Ranger chats because, you know, sicko behavior. And um, he was saying how, you know, the Rangers finally are starting to look like and play like the Vegas Gallant teams, you know, where they're getting a lot more shot attempts, right? And again, you know, Rob Luca wrote his uh, his trends post, went up on the blog a couple of days ago. I think I don't want to make any promises for Rob. He's a man with a very busy schedule, but I think we're going to have him on the podcast hopefully next week to talk through some of what he's seen. We'll also have a few more games to analyze, but, um, you know, not only is the uptick in expected goals welcome and due to, you know, the fact that the forward lines are deeper now, but the Rangers are just getting a lot more shot attempts, you know, meaning they have a lot more of the puck at even strength. You know, they're winning the Corsi battle, which, again, obviously that stat on its own is not um, the end-all be-all. Neither is expected goals, frankly. These are just, you know, different metrics to look at that could indicate, you know, future success and and indicate, you know, the sustainability of success within a team. Their Corsi numbers have been very good, not only since the deadline, but even before that. So the team has started, I think, to fully get um, what Gerard Gallant wants them to do and how he wants them to play. And I think they're going out there and executing with confidence for the first time all year. I mean, um, the, 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 the Rangers in, in, in 60 minutes, excuse me, 120 minutes of hockey against Pittsburgh never felt out of control. Like, look, yes, Pittsburgh's going to have their momentum surges. They're going to have the puck for, you know, an extended shift or two in, in the Rangers zone uh, every period. That happens to every team. You you know, even the Lightning, even even the most elite of elite teams that have won multiple championships are going to face consistent pressure in a game from a, a strong opponent. That's just how hockey is. And I thought the Rangers, for the most part against Pittsburgh, looked really solid and handled those moments really well. And then they went back on the offensive and retook the momentum, which is something you hear coaches and players talk about a lot, right? whatever, we gave up five, six, seven shot attempts in a row. You know, we spent two minutes in our own zone. It's what it's what you do after that. It's how do you get back in the game? We've seen with old Ranger teams, they weren't really able to get back in the game. That would just happen for 20 minutes, for 25 minutes. And the Rangers have done a good job stemming the tide. Um, what did you see in the Pittsburgh game specifically, Dave, that, that, you, that you liked the most? Was it... Um, was it the defense? Was it more of the, the impact Frank Vetrano continues to have? Like, what stands out to you watching this team, especially post-deadline, in those games, like the, like the ones against Pittsburgh that are essentially playoff previews? 
they are much more consistent on the four check. And that's the big thing. When they went out and they got Vetrano, they got Cop, they got Mott. They went through and they got guys that play the type of game that Gallant wants them to play. You can go forward. You can go through and say, you know, they should have gotten Raquel. They should have gotten Giroux. I think they they actually tried for Giroux, but the whole thing is they got guys that will get in on the forecheck. They know the system. Granted, it's not a unique system. It's a one-two-two forecheck. Twenty-nine out of thirty-two teams run one of three forechecks. This is the Rangers are one of them. So it's not that hard to figure out, but the key is they got a guy like Vetrano who gets in on the forecheck, gets back, is quick, and he shoots the puck from anywhere. Yeah, the and Rangers he's got a great to shoot shot. first guy. Holy crap, did they need to shoot first guy? And this is why he's scoring 900 goals in three days is he's shooting the puck. The Rangers didn't have anybody who's just like, oh, I'm actually going to shoot the puck from three feet in front of the net and try to make another pass. And then Cop is a great two-way player. Again, gets in on the forecheck, gets back on the back check. He prevents the third and the fourth man in, or the third or fourth man in, from getting the pass back through the slot that gives them a wide-open chance. That mm-hmm. was the Panarin to Braden Schneider goal against Pittsburgh. You don't have somebody who does. You don't have somebody who back checks. Fourth man in is wide open in the high slot. Game in, game out. Happens all the time. And I just happen to love Tyler Mott. He's your prototypical fourth-line grinder, but he's, again, a guy that does what Gallant needs them to do. Gallant's teams are forechecking, forced turnovers, quick transition teams, like what we saw with Patrick Nemeth forcing the turnover at the blue line, leading to our Ryan Reeves goal, a sentence I never thought I'd say. <laughs> yeah, well, good for Revo. He only scores on national TV, apparently. All, all three goals scored on, uh, on TNT. So um... Good for him. But seriously, Nemeth forcing a turnover for a Reeves goal. Yep. If and th- you told me in October that that sentence was going to come out of my mouth, I would have yelled at you. <laughs> Absolutely. They, I couldn't agree more about about the forecheck, and I think that again, just the the downstream effects of having better players, even if they're not bona fide top six players, having better player players in that middle six. And Vetrano obviously, you know, doing the job on the top line right now. But, you know, then you have the chance to put together that third line, which is Lafreniere, Heedle, and Barkley Goodrow, which is doing a great job of establishing a presence in the offensive zone, but also chipping in goals. You know, with the way Lafreniere's playing, you know, he didn't take it, uh, his assignment to the third line as a demotion. And you see, I didn't call it a demotion for a reason. He's handled that really well. He scored a couple of goals. Heedle has completely come alive. He's essentially been a point per game player for the last couple of weeks. So look, I mean, things are good. And, and I think it's all because of the moves that that jury made at the deadline. I'll also say this, and I will happily admit to being wrong. Um, because I've watched now two full games of, of Ricard Raquel because he's, he was traded to Pittsburgh, obviously. And, for what they gave up, I am very, very glad the Rangers didn't do that. I just, they gave up two roster players. I think what, another draft pick or two draft picks and another prospect, I want to say. It was it was at least five pieces for yeah, Ricard Raquel. There. Yeah, and he, I mean, he was really bad in the first game, the one the Rangers won 5-1 at, at Madison Square Garden. 
but he wasn't even very he wasn't much better in the, in the game in Pittsburgh either. He had a couple of nice rushes, a couple of decent chances, but he is you could tell stylistically he's not what the current Rangers need uh or needed. They already have players of that ilk, guys guys that are, you know, more shiftier finesse players, you know, even though Raquel's a bigger body and he he's, he does forecheck a little bit, not with the gusto of Vetrano and Cop and Mott. Yep. And it's interesting you bring up Heedle as a guy, since the trade deadline is a goal, two assists in five games, um, the Devils game obviously was a bit of a shit show. But um, what I find to be interesting, and I'm only seeing this because I was checking his game log, he's only taken nine faceoffs since mm-hmm. the trade deadline. And this goes to one of the dumbest arguments that I hear all the time is you need a center who's going to win faceoffs. No, you don't. Because no. a center is a hell of a lot more than just a guy who takes the fucking faceoff. He is the guy that is in on the defensive zone coverages, covering the high slot. He drives play. He reads the play well. And that's what Heedle does. Yep. Yeah, he doesn't win a faceoff. Oh, darn. We just watched Alexi Lafreniere win a faceoff clean and lead to... A he- actually, led to the Heedle goal. Right, because he wasn't taking the faceoff. He went net front. Mm-hmm. Right, because... Well, and Chris Kreider takes a lot of draws, and he plays with Mika Zibanejad, who is definitely a center. Obviously not very good at faceoffs, but anytime an offensive zone draws on the left side of the ice, Kreider takes it, because that's his strong side, and, you know, clearly... He basically has one move that that he can win faceoffs at a somewhat successful rate. So no, I agree with you. And and there, like you said, once the faceoffs over, there's no real. It's not like your position changes. It's just the guy who takes the faceoff. It's very easy to jump into a different lane or a different spot in coverage. And obviously on that line, Barkley Goodrow has been taking most of the draws. So that's fine. That that works. And I think it simplifies things for Heedle a little bit because he's not worried about you know losing two two out of every three faceoffs. And Kreider has 50, 60 face-off wins, 53 losses. Yes, yeah, so Morgan Barron, who I totally forgot for like a week on the Around the Farm post, is no longer a Ranger. Um, <laughs> 25 and 17. Cop, 20 and 22. <laughs> Lafreniere won that one clean, but he's 9 and 27, which I just find to be hilarious. But like, Goudreau is an everyman, 290 and 313. Believe it or not, Zibanejad has the best face-off guy. Is he above 50%? 564 face-off wins holy, and 531 face-off losses. He's taking 1,000 yep. face-offs this year. Holy crap. Yeah, it's, wow. Well, yeah, that's, he's taking a lot of, you know, that is ridiculous. That's a lot. Um, but, but I mean, again, that's uh, the addition of Cop. Uh, these are all versatile players that the Rangers brought in because, look, Capo Caco is coming back. Ryan Strom is coming back. Kevin Rooney's coming back. So the Rangers are going to have options along the forward lines. And they're going to be able to put Vetrano, Cop, Mott, you know, Kako, all these guys. They're all going to be able to play different spots, and they're going to have to be because, you know, as much as we'd like to, and, and we all did it after the deadline, you know, you write down your ideal lines and you, you start thinking about, you know, where do you put Kako, where do you put Vetrano, do you leave Lafreniere at left wing, do you try him at right wing again? You know, they have all those options, but you're going you're gonna to roll out a lineup there in game one of the playoffs, and if you lose 5-1... to one, that whole lineup's going to change because that's the nature of the playoffs, right? So it's good to have options, and I think that's what Chris Drury did. I think he gave Gerard Gallant options, and I, you know, I think, you know, I, I would imagine he's pretty happy with with what uh, the general manager brought in. 
Yeah, and we're not going to see the same fourth line play every game. I mean, look at the 2014 Rangers. What, they had Boyle and Moore as the two, and then they rotated Derek Dorsett, Dan Carcillo. They were rotating through a couple of guys in that role. Yeah, Ryan Reeves is going to get playoff games. I don't think Johnny Brodzinski is going to, especially when Kevin Rooney's back. But you're going to see Dryden Hunt there. You're going to see Barkley Goudreau in the fourth line with probably Mott and Rooney. Um, I think Mott and Rooney are going to wind up being your two guys, your two staples. And then, you know, actually, wow, that I think about it, is your fourth line set with Barkley Goudreau as the other guy in the fourth line. Seems like a hell of a fourth line to me. I mean, that that really does seem like a great fourth line. I'm thinking about it, unless I'm missing something. No, because when Capo, Kako, and Ryan Strom both get back, they're on to the second line, most likely. Hunt comes out, and mm-hmm. Ka- and Cop goes to the third line with Laugh and Heedle. That bumps Goodrow to the fourth line. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not misstating that. Goodrow goes no. to the fourth line. Holy crap! That that that's a championship caliber team. Yeah. Well, and that's, I think, the other wider question, which I think, you know, some of the fan questions are going to kind of get to the heart of this as well. But, you know, are the Rangers true contenders? You know, has this trade deadline and have these additions legitimized them as true contenders? In my mind, the only thing holding them back is is the youth, is the lack of experience and is the fact that, you know, as cliche as it sounds, they just haven't been through this together. And I think if you look at the way the NHL is... I'm trying to think of a team that has won a cup without going through several years of excruciating playoff losses of different varieties. It just seems to be the way it is. Tampa Bay went through it, obviously. Um, uh, you know, maybe the Kings. I, I, I guess the 2011-2012 Kings, they're that first cup team, they kind of came out of nowhere. They were an eight seed. But, you know, most teams that 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 win Stanley Cups are going through quite a bit of playoff uh, heartache together. And this Ranger team obviously has some experience. They went out and prioritized that with the likes of, you know, adding Goodrow and, um, you know, uh, even Reeves to the mix, who's played in a Stanley Cup final. Um, But they have not had any experience as a team whatsoever in a playoff series. And I think that that does count for something. Worth noting, Igor Shesterkin, while he doesn't have NHL playoff experience, has KHL playoff experience. Yep, that's fair. Yeah, and I mean, you know, look, the, because Abanajad's played in plenty of playoff games in his career, Chris Kreider has as well. It's it's not a team that's solely stocked of, you know, 21 and 22-year-old kids who have only ever played in like the, you know, what do they call it, the, the Memorial Cup in Canada, whatever the junior playoffs is. It is the Memorial um, Cup, yeah. It's the Memorial Cup, right? So, and which, look, I mean, obviously a huge event with, you know, frankly, millions of people paying attention to it, but... um not of the order of magnitude of the NHL playoffs either. So it'll be interesting to see how this team responds. But, I mean, look, it's a crazy stat, but they've they've got more comeback. Where they, you know, they got 23 comeback wins this year, which is the most in the league. It's the most tied for the most in franchise history, I think. 23 of their 43 victories have been comeback victories, so meaning they've trailed at one point in the game or another. Um, and... Whether, you know, I mean, I think you can also even point back to last year in a lot of ways, what happened with 
the exits of John Davidson and and, uh, and Jeff Gordon, even going back to the Tony D'Angelo stuff. Like, this team's been through some stuff together. So it's not like, and then all the Tom Wilson stuff, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it's not like they haven't had moments that they've needed to look inwards and learn from. And I think that, that all of that should serve them well moving forward. Yeah, I think they'll be fine. I do think playoff experience is overstated and overrated. It does help. Mostly because you have to understand that the playoffs are different. You know, you're not going to get refs calling every penalty. Refs swallow the whistles in the third period, especially in close games, and definitely in overtime, which is why mm-hmm. five-on-five five play matters so much and why the you can't rely on just an elite power play. They're going to be playing in high-stress five-on-five situations, and they have to know how to handle it, and... I think they have enough guys that can keep the room light even in an overtime loss or, you know, you blow a three-goal lead, you become the Toronto Maple Leafs for a day, (laughs) you know, something like that. You know, they have the guys that have been there before. The 35 A's have mostly been to the playoffs before. Kreider, Zibanejad, Panarin... I don't know if Strom's been to the playoffs. Uh, Truba definitely has question. been. Yep. Um, and who Goodrow, of course. Goodrow, definitely. Goodrow. Who's the other one? Yeah. I have some... Ra- I'm actually looking at the Yahoo stat page right now, and I got some trivia for you. That's just mind-boggling to me. Ooh, I like trivia. Okay. On power play one, there is one guy with zero power play goals. Who is it? Whoa. Yeah. He's a one of the one of the five Rangers? Strom. One of the five guys on power play one. Strom? Zero goal. No. Adam Fox. Adam Fox, wow. All assists. Thirty assists. Because Kreider's deflecting every single one of his shots. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's what so all he has eight or nine goals this year. I guess they're all at even strength, or I guess he might have a shorty in there. I don't know. He has ten goals, one shorty. Nine even strength goals. And I'm not done with random power play trivia, by the way. Power play one. Who has the fewest points? I want to say Strom. Yes. Again. Okay. That makes more sense. And it's depressing. And my third question is going to play off of that and show that power play one is not going to have an issue if and when Strom leaves. Strom has three goals and nine assists. On the power mm-hmm. play. That's it. Panarin, 5 goals, 27 assists. Zibanejad, 13 goals, 11 assists. Kreider, 107 goals and 6 assists. <laughs> All right, last yeah. one. Who has more power play points this year? Points. Capo Caco or Alexi Lafreniere? I mean, it's by the nature of the question, I have to guess Lafreniere because he has one power play point. I guess Caco has zero. Nope, Kako has a goal and an assist. Oh, good for him. Okay, yep. good. So does Niels Lundqvist, by the way. Yeah. that Well, and look, he's been doing great in Hartford. And again, that's the yeah. other secondary story here, by the way, of, of the trade deadline is that Drury hung on to all of the Rangers' premium assets. The first-round pick, the top three prospects are all still here. So um, it's, it was a great job by him. No, that's fascinating trivia, though, Dave. And I think, look, I'll say this, too, as a post-deadline uh you know, uh, thing to note, I think the second power play unit has actually looked a lot better with, well, obviously when, before Strom got hurt with cop on it. Um, yes. 
with Vetrano on it, you know, guys who are just pros who understand what to do when you're on a second power play unit. I think, you know, other than Truba, that unit was littered with young guys who are a little bit tentative. And, you know, even though you're up a man, the way teams kill penalties now, especially against the second unit, you know it's not the top guys out there. You're going to be more aggressive. You actually don't have as much time and space as you think. And so I think with Vetrano, Cop, you know, helping Truba out, Lafreniere getting better and better, you know, with every passing game, they're starting to move the puck quicker and just get it to the net. And true, that was always the thing with Truba. Like, he's literally just 100% of the time he's shooting it from the blue line. And that can be dangerous because a shot gets blocked. And when you pick a bad spot to shoot, it goes off the defender shin pads and it turns into a breakaway the other way. But they're all simplifying the power play. And I do think that it would not shock me if the second power play unit needs to come up with a big goal in a playoff series. It's just the way things might work out, you know, uh, with the first power play unit, maybe just needing to come off the ice or, or, or the second unit needing to start uh, the power play because the first unit guys were mostly on the ice when they drew the penalty. Who knows? But, um, I, you know, I like what I've seen from that unit, and I think it also gets better with the return of Kako, of course. Yeah, and you're 100% right. The second power play unit is going to put up a goal that's going to be massive. It's going to be a third-period goal where they're either down a man on the power play, sorry, down a goal on the power play, up a goal where they need an insurance goal, and mm-hmm. it's going to be somebody like Cop or Vetrano that comes through. I got one more question for you, stat-related. Okay, okay. And we're omitting Frank Vetrano and his 31% shooting and we're also omitting Jared Tenorti and his 20% shooting, which is hilarious. Um, aside from Chris Kreider, who has the highest shooting percentage on the Rangers this year? Wow. And it I'm is not guess... Mika Zibanejad. Right. I was going to say, I'm going to guess Lafreniere. Yeah, 18%. Wow. Yep. Yeah. 84 shots, 15 goals, all at even strength. If and when he replaces Ryan Strom in the bumper position... Or maybe Panarin moves to bumper and Laf goes to the off wing, finally giving the Rangers a one-timer on that side. Power play one next year is not going to miss a beat. No. No, and Lafreniere is also starting to shoot more. So even if that number comes down, I think he's still – he's definitely got an outside chance at 20 goals. Um, you know, if for this season, it'll be it'll be tight. You know, but probably more likely ends up with 18 or 19. But um, – He's shooting the puck a lot more, and, and he's just been way more assertive the last few weeks. And, and again, good sign that he has not uh, taken that third-line assignment as a demotion, and he's really just continued to thrive playing with Philip Heedle. So great stuff, Dave, and I think we're going to have to you know, try that again in, a, in another week or two yeah. maybe. But you know, you, you quizzing uh, me or quizzing me and Becky on uh, some, some stat-related trivia, that was fun. I, I just happened to be looking at the Yahoo page, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed that. As a nerd, I thoroughly enjoy the numbers, so... Um, That's fantastic. Before we get the fan questions, at Dano2430 put something out there that was relevant to what we were talking about before. If Keith Kincaid was an NHL caliber goalie, he'd be in the NHL. Just That's saying. Fair. You know, That's it, fair. It's Rob Luker's favorite moneyball thing. If the guy can hit, why doesn't he hit? Yep. Yeah. Why doesn't he hit good? If he's a good hitter, why doesn't yeah. he hit good? <laughs> yep. Yeah, I butchered that one because I can't. That's one of the only movies I can't quote. You know, like Tommy Boy, basically. 
Um, no, that's a good point. A good point by Dano. And I'm probably just in the moment reacting as opposed to, you know, maintaining a cool head. But it's certainly not easy to watch your goaltender struggle struggle like that. And, and we have not experienced that in a long time with the Rangers, you know, either the starter or the backup, frankly. So, um, all right, let's get to those aforementioned fan questions. We have a bunch to get through. Um, first one comes from Lou, Immortal Lou 30, the dean of the NYR Shot Club. Um, I love this question, by the way, and I know where it comes from, and we'll probably answer it as such, but still. Who would you say is the most low-key dirty player in the league? Obviously, this uh, everyone knows Tom Wilson, Brad Marchand, P.K. Slubon, of course. Uh, Valley never lets a chance to let that one go by either on MSG, which I love. Um, but who is kind of under the radar dirty and does not get enough heat for it? Yep, I know exactly where this is coming from. So I know what your answer is going to be. I'm going to take one of his teammates. Okay, go ahead. Sidney Crosby. Yep. And, and I was going to say Malkin. Of spears, yeah, you were obviously going to say Malkin. But the number of spears and little slashes and little jabs and, you know, stick and cup checks and things like mm-hmm. that that he's done. Meanwhile, Lundqvist gets fined five grand for, you know, squirting him with some water. Yeah, because all he did was spear other Rangers in the balls for two periods, and Lundqvist had had enough of it. He he probably got speared himself. So yeah, um, yeah, no, him and him and Malkin are it's just filthy, and they've clearly built up a reputation among among the refs that they're a little bit untouchable. And I hate to be that guy, but they're literally the least penalized team in the league. I don't. I would not shock me, although I haven't looked at the stats. If that if this is not the first year that that's the case, but I know that they're currently the least penalized team in the NHL. And with Malkin, I always tell this story um, about him. Let's just say it this way. He tends to be his dirtiest when his team is losing and the game is lost. So he will literally just go do something absolutely filthy because he's behaving like a nine-year-old sore loser. And he's taking his ball and going home. I was at a playoff game. It was the one game the Rangers won in the series. It was the year that um, it was Yager's last season with the Rangers. They lost to Pittsburgh 4-1 to in the second round. Um, I went to the one game they won. Yager had a hat trick, or I think he had two goals. He played absolutely dominated the game. It was an amazing thing to watch. But at the very end of the game, like there was not even really a scuffle, but guys were kind of, you know, shouldering a little as the buzzer sounded, and then they were separating. And Malkin went by Paul Mara, who was a really solid, you know, veteran defenseman on that team, and just stuck his leg out and slew footed him from behind, like in the open, like in the middle of the ice in front of 18,000 people at Madison Square Garden, it was really, truly one of the filthiest things I've ever seen on a hockey rink ever in my life, in my all of my years of watching hockey. And it it incenses me to this day, as I'm sure you can hear in my voice. And yep. he's just never paid for it. I mean, has he ever been suspended, Evgeny Malkin? Have I either have him or Crosby ever been, been suspended? At least one. Maybe, I have to assume yeah. so. I'm assuming yeah. he got it. So what was dirtier to you, that or... The um, Donald Brashear elbow to Blair Betts. Oh, man. That's a good good question. I guess probably the Brashear elbow because it was like more outwardly vicious. That also changed the entire complexion of the series. The Rangers lost yeah. both games after that. Yeah. That's a good shout. Um, I mean, look, that, there's that been one a lot is of... etched into my mind. And then the Rangers went and signed Brashear in the offseason. <laughs> Of course, I know. Well, yeah. Thank goodness things have changed slightly, even if Glenn Sather's still involved. So, all right, great question from Lou. Uh, let's go to the the next one that comes from Kevin at Spozo, S-P-O-Z-O, 211. 
Hank's white gloves versus Igor's headband. Who you got, Dave? Accessory, for- goalie accessory. I am forever a Lundquist stan. The white gloves, they're just pristine, and they go perfectly with his never messed up hair. Doesn't need a headband, doesn't need any of it. He just takes off his helmet, and his hair is perfect. So, gotta <laughs> go with the white gloves. Yeah, see, I, I love the quirkiness of the headband. I just think that that's, and it's, you know, it's it's hockey, and it's such a tough sport, and you had all these, like, grizzly guys, you know, making their final adjustments of their gear and putting their helmets on. And then like Igor does like a nineties high school movie, like hair toss and puts in like a tiny skinny little headband. It just seems so out of step with everything else that's going on. Um, so I like the quirkiness there, but no, this is a good one. Good question. Um, all right. So I'll now give we'll Igor, get... I'll give Igor a pass on the headband because he has long hair. If he's, if he shaves his head and continues with the headband, we're going to have a problem. Oh, yeah. No, definitely. And his hair was much shorter when he first came to the Rangers. He probably hasn't cut it since he got signed and started with the Rangers. (laughs) So we might be living with the headband for a while. Um, Fair enough. Next one comes from Matt. This is a great handle, at ButterflyPain12. Um, This is definitely more of a question for you, Dave, but, uh, you know, because you have a good understanding of this stuff. But um, what would COP cost on the open market? And is he a potential viable 2C if Ryan Strom walks, which he most likely will. So this is a big question that was floating around on Twitter today and has been the last few days, especially since we've gotten an extended look at the Rangers, you know, playing pretty well without Ryan Strom, Artemi Panarin included. He has a goal tonight as the Rangers have tied the game against Detroit 3-3. Where are you on cop? And and again, I think that first part of the question, I'd love to hear your thoughts on what, what does he get on the open market as a free agent? So usually this is where I go to Evolving Hockey's contract predictor and just pull up what they had him at last year because it's not going to change much. Unfortunately, I don't have it on. I'm not logged in on the computer I'm on right now. So he's a 40.2 or 3C. He's likely your best bet on as a 3C on mm-hmm. like true contending teams. I'd say on the open market, as a, as a playoff-performing center, obviously the playoffs will matter here. With, with a normal playoff run, assuming he keeps his, you know, one point every two game pace, I'd say he gets four years, four million, four and a half million. Wow. But if he has a big playoffs... He gets five years, five and a half million. He'll get an extra $5 million in a year. Yeah. I would agree with that, actually. I, I would have him just, and again, I, I don't um, I, I don't have uh, the, the evolving hockey contract predictor or anything like that. And I'm not as well acquainted with those numbers as you are. But in my mind, you know, knowing Strom is probably in the ballpark of six, six and a half million. I more. think of cop is about maybe more. Yeah, I think of cop as a as a as a about a million and a half less than that, right? So, in the five million dollar range, and you know the way I'm I'm thinking about this is, the Rangers are going to do one of two things. They're either going to let Strom walk and then re-sign cop and Filipito, and I think if if Rob Luker is listening. He would want me to say this: sign Philip Heedle to a long-term extension now and lock him up before he becomes a cop-like uh, producer. You know, forty to fifty points, um, and it looks like he is capable of doing that if he does. You know, bring this type of game consistently, like we've seen the last few weeks. 
You I think the Phillip plan would be Thiedel to bring with Artemi Panera next year, and you keep Cop as your three C. That's right. some center depth. Exactly, and that's I think that might be the way they would lean. Option B is to take a big swing, let them all walk, basically, essentially, right? Because you've got to find the money to take a big swing, and and if you're making a trade, Heedle's probably going the other way and said trade. They'll make a big swing. Uh, I don't even want to play the game right now because we've just played the game for four months about names that are out there and potential new Rangers. I think we've we've got our guys for this year, and and uh, I'm happy with them. Um, but go out and get a bona fide center. You know, someone who has put up 50 to 60 points consistently in the NHL and can come in and be, you know, again, the the one name I'll just mention because it's top of mind and fits the bill is Mark Shifley. Go get that type of player. But it's going to cost you an arm and a leg. You have to fit it under the cap and you're probably only got that guy for for two, maybe three years. So that's my thought on the center depth. Does any of that sound out of out of whack to you, Dave? Or is that kind of does that to me, it seems like cop and heedle is your sort of dual Strom replacement, and you see if Heedle can become a legit 2C on still a pretty cheap contract. It's the same way you approach the Pavel Buchnevich trade. How are you going to replace the production? You're not going to find one guy who replaces Ryan Strom's production for a cap hit that you can afford or without sacrificing key players from the roster right now. It's just not going to happen. Mark Shifley is going to cost you uh, like you said, at least a Filipedal, at least a Niels Lundqvist, maybe even uh, maybe even a Zach Jones, or mm-hmm. and and then more probably. Yeah, um, first round pick, right? Easily, and we're still probably light on this because remember, Shifley is good. Like he's really, really good. He's a dickhead, but he's good. <laughs> yep. Um, but then you, you have, have no three C. Fu- <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But but you replace them in the aggregate. The whole point with trading Buchnevich, granted it took forever to get to where they were supposed to be, was to replace his production in the aggregate with Laugh and with Kaka. It took them a while, exactly. and obviously Buch has since played out of his mind in St. Louis, knowing, and he's doing exactly what we knew he would. And then Kako and Lafreniere didn't really get top six time until maybe, you know, a month ago, and then Kaka went and got hurt again. So that didn't work out as planned. But the whole thing is, if you can't replace Strom's production, you replace it in the aggregate. Can Heedle move up to the 2C, and we know he's a center again, can he just get to the net and let Panarin do his thing, which is basically what Strom does. You put another, uh, you leave Kako on the wing, and hey, you got two play drivers with a guy that has the best vision in the league right now, and Panarin. I'm not I'm exaggerating, mm-hmm. but you follow. You uh, Can Hedl put yeah. up 50 points with Panarin? Absolutely. Are you missing you Strom so. at that point if you replace him on power play one with Lafreniere? Nope. Right. It's true. Um, no, I tend to agree with you. And then, and then cop slots, slots in really nicely as a three C or, you know, if, if you do bring in other players and you need him to play some wing, he is versatile and, and he brings that to your team basically the same way Barkley Goodrow does with a higher skill level and a higher ceiling production wise. So now it's an interesting question. Um, we have a similar question also from, uh, from Bill to spill re-sign Stromer cop. So let's say, uh, what's your after that discussion, Dave? You know, what's your choice? Are you resigning Strom or are you resigning Cop? We have to pick one. 
again, I'm assuming that it's not a ridiculous playoffs for cop where he just you know puts up 20 goals in 10 games and the <laughs> right. answer is clearly cop yeah i agree i agree i think i'm resigning cop because of the versatility and just the you're already facing a cap crunch so that enables you to more fully fill out the roster and it gives Heedle a proper opportunity to play you know uh potentially play up with uh with panarin um Next question, I think this might be the last one from a good friend of the pod and and recent guest, Jessica Lynn 312. What would you want them to give out after a win instead of the Broadway hat, which needs to go? So Jess is of the opinion, I tend to agree that the Broadway hat has become a little bit stale as a locker room, uh, you know, uh, team, you know, game of the player award, I guess. Every team has something now. There's championship belts and hardware, hard hats and all this crazy stuff. So Dave, yeah, what do you think? Are you repla- First of all, what's your, what are your thoughts on the Broadway hat? I'm indifferent. It is. I mean, I, it, it was cute. I, I, I like that as part of the culture, but I'm not going to lose sleep if it's gone. Right. So do you have any fun ideas for what it could be <laughs> replaced with? I'm sure oh, you do. Oh, yeah. Um, the the player that would get the Broadway hat gets to have an A on his sweater for the next jersey for the next game. <laughs> there you go. I like that. An A for a day. What if you replace the Broadway hat with a giant, and I mean like the size of a baseball bat or something like that, uh, cigar in honor of Glenn Sather, who, as we know, is always chewing an unlit, usually, cigar. Uh, I'm sure he lights up maybe after a big win, hopefully not indoors. But what about a what about a, a massive, comically large, cartoonish cigar for the player of the game? And, and obviously that also goes, you know, hand in hand. You know, it's kind of a traditional uh, handout for, uh, you know, prize for a, a guy that has a good game. Do you really want to etch Glenn Sather into Rangers lore like that? I... I, I hate to tell you this, Dave. I think he's already etched, whether we like it or not. He's yeah. been around for mm-hmm. a long time, and twenty. We want this now. team to win a cup, like before we, you know, are needing wheelchairs and walkers and stuff like that. And if that happens, Sather's probably going to be part of it. You know, Glenn Sather does look good for. However, I think he's like eighty years old at this point. He looks good for an eighty-year-old dude. Got to give him credit. He does. He does. There's well, also you know, hey, one more question, by the way. Um, it was a oh, direct yeah. reply to one of mine. Yeah, go ahead. Read it. So with Strom and Kako, this is from at Mr. Pods with the Z, big boy Kesha. With Strom and Kako coming back from injury before the playoffs and given the wins over Pittsburgh, do you think the Rangers are able to beat Carolina in a playoff series? That is quite literally the million-dollar question. Um, I have gone back and forth in my head about this because obviously you can't help but get excited after those games. And, you know, even as we've dealt with horribly cold weather here in the Northeast the last few days, we know spring is coming. Spring means warm weather. You start thinking about playoffs. You start thinking about all of the excitement and anxiety and the good, the bad, and the ugly that comes with watching your team uh, go through a long playoff run. So, yeah, I mean, I've been thinking about this. And maybe, by the way, first of all, I'm too confident in their ability to get through the first round. Because clearly, if we're talking about, um, if we're talking about them 
playing against Carolina, that means they they're winning a round in the playoffs first of all. So let's just let, you have to assume that, which is a pretty big assumption. I I just think that it would be a really tough series, but I have a hard time seeing it only because of you know Carolina's their style of play is the exact it's they're basically the kings that the rangers lost to in 2014 but on steroids they're faster they're deeper they're more relentless if that's even possible and they would just get i mean they would pound them they would they would they would fight back but they would just be getting pounded game after game and the way carolina plays even against the best teams they're getting 40 shots on goal. That's just, I mean, if you look at their numbers, no matter who they play, if the game's really important, that team is getting 40, 40, 45 shots on goal. And that is what will break Igor. You know, and I, and I know, you know, even Steve Valaket said it on the post game after uh, Tuesday night's win over Pittsburgh. And, and I think he's tempting fate a little bit. He said, I don't know if any team can win four out of seven against Igor. And, I love the confidence, but if it's going to happen, it's going to be Carolina, I think. So I hate to sound so pessimistic, but even with the additions, even at full health, I have a hard time seeing it. I am with you there. I don't see the Rangers keeping up with Carolina offensively. And this is with all the additions. The Rangers just play a different style. And uh, Carolina is just really good. And they don't even need Igor and Nett. They got... um, it's Freddie Anderson, right? Yeah. He's having his own pretty damn good season. If it wasn't for Igor playing like Igor, he'd probably be in the conversation for Vesna. It's true. No, they get goaltending too. You're right. So you have four skilled, quick lines. You have six two-way puck-moving defensemen that that some actually do you know, deliver a hit every now and then. No, they to, hit. They're a heavy yeah. team, too. They, they, yeah, they hit, too, for sure. Uh, they're built for the playoffs. And as we've seen, elite goalies can only do so much. You know, Jaguar basically allowed four goals through the playoffs and still lost to the Devils. So... Yep, yep. And then That's there true. is one more question. Not a tw- Not a Twitter fan question. I proposed this in the group DM chat. I'm not sure if you remembered. If you were Will Smith and you could slap the shit out of any one former Ranger, not current, former Ranger, who would it be? Wow. Former Ranger. <sighs> and you Bobby can't Holique. say Brett Howden. No, Bobby Holik. Really? Just Bobby Holik? I mean, Bobby Holik, that was like the height of, it was right before they instituted the salary cap. And that was the height of like guys just coming to the Rangers and getting massive contracts that they didn't deserve, cashing the paycheck and not trying at all. And I think like Holik was a guy, if I remember correctly, that just like didn't really care. And it was pretty evident, just was not trying on a nightly basis. And he just represents like, the true nadir of the dark ages of the Rangers and, and being a fan through those tough times. It has to be a guy from that era. Um, and like, if I could separate Mark Messier into Stanley cup, Mark Messier and like pre-trade Mark Messier and then post-trade Mark Messier who like hung around for four, four years too many. And like 
also sucked the life out of the franchise, I would maybe choose him, but I'll, I'll go with Bobby Holy because oh, he's a former devil, so get out of here with him. So I like the Messier thing, and if I could separate Messier the leader from Messier the guy with the agenda to get rid of Sergei Zubov, which mm-hmm. if you're unaware, Messier basically petitioned to have Zubov traded and it led to that awful trade. And obviously we know how that went. I don't know why. I think it was because Zubov smoked cigarettes or something like that. It was something fucking dumb. It was ridiculous. Yeah, it was something stupid. But I'm going to go more recent. And while my heart wants to say Dmitry Kalinin, because holy crap, was that signing bad. <laughs> I'm going to go Oli Jokinen. Yeah, there you go. It's a good one. Oli Jokinen. I, uh, how... Uh, and then the Flyers went to the Stanley Cup final. Yep. I really... Could have knocked him out that day. They, And why was he the third guy? I want to just slap know, the but... shit out of him so that he goes, ow, my pride, and then go, wait a second, who's this guy who's half my size slapping me? I'm going to go after him, and then somebody else is going to take the third shootout attempt. Yeah, I mean, he, you know, he was a deadline acquisition, and I think he did actually put up decent numbers, so good on him. But he also seemed like a guy who, again, I hate to try and, like, I truly don't think that pro athletes are mailing it in too too often. I mean, I think it does happen for sure, but Jokinen was another guy who, like, I just never watched, I never watched him and, and really felt good rooting for him. He always just slightly pissed me off at all times, and then obviously the icing on the cake was the shootout miss to, uh, to miss the playoffs for the only time in the Henrik Lundqvist era until the end of his career. So, um, you know, yeah. he kind of looks like Ron in. Perlman. Yes, he does. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm Weird looking guy. Yeah. Like I-, I pulled it up. He had four goals, 11 assists in 26 games for the Rangers. Not bad. He looks like Ron Perlman from sons of anarchy. If he grew out his hair, it's a yeah. very rectangular face and very his eyes strange. are a little bit too close together. But yes, I'm also just looking strange. at his hockey DB picture, so I don't know what the hell I'm looking at here. <laughs> he was bald as a ranger. I'm pretty sure he was bald. Did we have like a bald player quota or something? Because we went from yoking into Stepan. <laughs> yeah, well, Stepan lost it. He definitely wasn't bald <laughs> as a kid. So, But, you know, playing for Torts and AV will do that to you, I guess. Um, <laughs> all right, good questions. Good show. It's been a pleasure. Um Dave, any final thoughts before we uh, before we head out for the week? And and uh, we got a game against the Islanders coming up. You know, Rangers hope to keep it rolling here as we head towards the playoffs. Just remember, it's about the process now, not the results. The results will come in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, all right, Dave. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thanks, everybody, for listening to this week's episode of, uh, of Live from the Blue Seats. Becky will be back next week. We may or may not have Rob Luker as well, so you'll want to uh, tune in for that one, and uh, we'll see you all next week. <laughs>